Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host Narad Muni and I am a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I am a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode we are talking about Agastya. Maybe Agastya is the kind of person who needs no introduction. But I'll provide one anyway. Agastya is a hall of famer rishi or a saptarishi. Perhaps he's one of the most famous ones. Agastya was also a very famous author. Amongst other things, he invented some of the grammar in the Tamil language. And if all that is not enough, he also happens to be my nephew. That's right. Agastya is the son of Pulastya, another Saptarishi and another son of Brahma, just like me. You might think being a saptarishi runs in the family but not really For example Pulastya's grandson Ravan was quite a supervillain which is about as far away from being a saptarishi as possible Anyway back to my nephew Agastya If you are going to ask me about my memories of dangling the baby Agastya on my knee there weren't that many Being a traveling musician means I've not exactly been a model uncle. Now despite not being in touch with Agastya, I know exactly what happened to him. Thanks to my ultimate and complete knowledge of the past. So this is as good as an eyewitness account. I'm going to cover 3 events in Agastya's life. We'll skip past Agastya's childhood and youth, right to the part where he was a middle-aged rishi. He had acquired a bit of a reputation for being righteous. That's how he ended up marrying a princess. The princess, Lopamudra, certainly rated spiritual well-being much higher than financial well-being. That is, until she discovered. contrary to her expectations that the grass was in fact much greener in the palace gardens than in the rishi's ashram lopamudra frequently reminded agastya of how she missed the luxuries of palace life until one day he finally decided to do something about it he had a few favors to cash in from high places You see he had already authored a bunch of books and it was maybe time to cash in on those book sales He knew that he had some money coming his way because he saw all of his recent books were pretty high on the New India Times bestseller list So he went off to his publisher and literary agent who also happened to be a king King Srutarva 
greeted his client warmly. Hello there, Agastya. Got any new material for me? Not struggling with writer's block, are you? He asked, unable to keep the concern out of his voice. Not at all, said Agastya. I'm just here to collect my check. I see that my works have been on the bestseller list for a while. Collect your check? exclaimed Srutarva. Why, no one's ever asked me that before. Everyone who's capable of publishing a book usually also lacks nothing. Nevertheless, I do need the money, replied Agastya. The books have been bestsellers, meaning they were sold and people paid money to buy them. I want a portion of the money. Of course, of course, said the king. Let me just find out what your earnings were. He summoned the chief accountant, who promptly reminded the king that the earnings from Agastya's books were precisely zero, because the king had gambled and lost the rights to those books. Consulting his ledger, the chief accountant said that the rights were now owned by King Prihadastha. Srutarva offered to pay Agastya out of his own treasury, but Agastya was a stickler for the rules. He was not going to take money that was not his to begin with for services that he had not provided. Are you sure? asked Srutarva, in his velvet Armani tuxedo, wearing a three-tier golden crown that he had gotten made because, frankly, he had too much money in his treasury. But Agastya was sure. He would get the money from King Prihatastha. But that king had gambled away the rights too. He too offered the Saptarishi money directly from his own treasury. But for a second time, Agastya declined and decided to move on to King Thrasadasya. These things go in threes. So no one was surprised to find that this king had gambled away the book royalties as well. This time though, when the king revealed that he had given the rights to King Ilvala, the other two kings were shocked. No, you didn't? How could you? They asked him. Ilvala had a reputation for being a bad guy. Him and his shape-shifting brother, Watapi. That did not stop Agastya from visiting Ilvala. And despite being a baddie, Ilvala had to receive this Hall of Famer Rishi, who was now visiting him. And the other three kings accompanied Agastya as well. One look at Agastya and Ilvala concluded that the Saptarishi loved his food. Aloud, he said to Watapi, Watapi, go arrange a grand feast for our guests. Maybe we should serve them the goat, who just by a happy coincidence is also called Watapi. Wink, wink. Watapi grinned 
conspiratorially all the way to the kitchen there was no goat called watapi or rather there was no other individual goat named watapi watapi himself was a shapeshifter he changed himself into a goat he was cooked by the royal chefs and served to the guests this process did not hurt watapi on the contrary hearing the magic words of rise watapi and seeing his atoms integrate back into a whole body was euphoric he and his brother had done this many times in the past sure it killed the people who had eaten his goat form but sometimes that was the point today as well ilvala could eliminate three heads of state and agastya all in one meal a package meal deal thought the evil king but he was then shocked to find out that the three kings were vegetarians maybe next time he should ask watapi to turn himself into a turnip but as ilvala was about to find out there would be no next time as soon as agastya had eaten the last of the goat curry ilvala was ready with his magic words but before he could ask watapi to rise agastya's stomach rumbled given the immense amount of food he had eaten the pieces were jostling for space watapi settle said agastya and that was that watapi settled and no further invocations from ilvala made any difference watapi was gone forever the evil king wasn't giving up on the book money easily though he decided to pose a challenge a mind reading one yes now about the book money he began here's what i have in mind agastya interrupted you want to pose a mind reading challenge if i can tell exactly how many books sold and exactly how many rupees you will pay me i can have the money well that's easy you sold 10152 books you are going to pay me 13600 gold pieces wait you just changed it to 12100 and now you changed it to zero you want to pay me nothing and now you're wishing i had never been born and that this is a dark day for you especially because i ate your brother the king's jaw dropped for all to see and he began how did you he never finished the question the damage was done there is no way that he could deny that this rishi was able to read his mind he gave agastya 13600 gold pieces as he had originally intended that allowed agastya and lopamudra 
to invest in making their home a much more palace-like experience. It was therefore a shame that not long after, they decided to move. That's the second incident that Agastya is famous for. No, this isn't simply page 3 gossip about a power couple. No, this had a real purpose that the entire world benefited from. It began with the Vindhya, which is a mountain range in central India. I know the geologists amongst you are going to point out that the Vindhyas are not a single continuous range. But that doesn't matter. In our story, they all acted together. That's the part that matters. So anyway, the Vindhyas were just as sentient as other mountains we have met before. One in particular was Mount Meru. I've mentioned Mount Meru before and how it was regarded as the center of the universe. Being the center, obviously that meant that the sun went around it. So thought the Vindhyas. The Vindhyas had a better idea that they clearly expressed to the sun one day. Why don't you go around us instead of going around Meru? The sun replied that it did in fact go around the Vindhyas. That's not what it looks like, replied the Vindhyas. If we chart your course across the sky, it appears you're going around Meru. Well, congratulations, said the sun. You've just discovered that the earth is round and that Meru is closer to the equator than you are. But that did not satisfy the Vindhyas. The sun tried to explain elementary physics to them, but they would not listen. They just wanted to be at the equator, whatever that was, not Meru. Exasperated, the sun went off for the night, but the Vindhyas did not go to sleep. They began to think. And thinking hard, they realized that the way to get the sun to do what they wanted was to block its progress in the sky. They would grow taller until the sun would be forced to change course. So the Vindhyas concentrated hard and grew taller and taller. That did not worry the sun who thought it would be a while before the Vindhyas would be 93 million miles long. But the Devs, led by their boss man Indra, did some projections of their own and decided there was a real risk here. If the Vindhyas were far too tall and blocked the progress of the sun, that would plunge half the earth into darkness. They did not think that the sun could simply go around the range. But as you will soon see, they're not the only ones in making that kind of a mistake. Indra decided that some action was called for. He had a delegation sent to Agastya 
to see if that great Saptarishi could help here. And Agastya, being his normal helpful self, was more than willing. He knew what he must do. He and Lopamudra packed up their bags and walked right up to the Vindhyas. Hi there, he said to the Vindhyas when he reached the base of those mountains. The now huge Vindhyas looked down at the five-foot-tall Agastya, but with immense respect when they realized who he was. They greeted Agastya politely and asked how they might serve the Rishi. First of all, would you mind stopping to grow while we have this conversation? I can't hear you well with this continuous Doppler effect if you keep growing as we speak. Okay, said the Vindhyas, and immediately hit the pause button. That was so much better, thank you, said Agastya. Now listen, I'm going on a visit to South India. Going on a visit? interrupted Lopamudra. You told me we were moving. Agastya quickly shushed her. Luckily, the Vindhya seemed not to have heard her. So as I was saying, continued Agastya, I am visiting South India. Now, if you grow so high, how will I cross over you? I mean, if you grow any more, I'll need oxygen tanks, which aren't even invented yet. The Vindhyas did not question why Agastya could not simply go around the mountains or why he didn't simply walk in one of the many valleys in this discontinuous chain. Maybe it was part of the pride that the range felt that the famous Rishi had gone over them. Maybe they would commemorate that event with a plaque for future generations to marvel at. They were sure no Rishi crossed over Meru. Whatever the reasoning was, it convinced the Vindhyas. The Vindhyas promised they would not grow any further until after Agastya had crossed over to South India and returned. Unfortunately for the Vindhyas, they did not agree to a sunset clause in their agreement. Meaning, that if Agastya chose never to return, the Vindhyas would just not grow any taller. And that is exactly what happened. The Vindhyas are patiently waiting for Agastya. I guess no one has bothered to inform them that Agastya will never ever return. So that's how Agastya solved another problem this time for the entire universe. We'll cover one more incident in Agastya's life. This one does not involve saving the universe, but just his local community. When Agastya moved into South India, he was immediately approached by various people who had heard of his superpowers and sought his help. A major one that came up was a long-standing battle between the Devs 
and the Asurs. They warred before and always. This particular one was one fight that the Asurs were winning handily. That is, until Vishnu and Brahma got involved. Brahma, the creator of the universe, who is also my dad, gave Indra a suggestion on what weapon he could use against the Asur chief. And Vishnu, the preserver of the universe, gave him some speed and agility bonuses. That combination worked. Indra and the Devs defeated the Asurs. But what they had done was just the equivalent of chopping off the head of a Hydra. If you slice one head off, three new ones appear. The remaining Asurs went into stealth mode. Every night, they would raid and plunder villages. Somehow they would disappear by the morning. The Asurs' tactics were working because no one could discover their hiding spot. Well, if they had asked me, I'd have told them right away. I have universal knowledge, remember? No one can keep secrets from me. But as it happened, they asked Vishnu. And Vishnu told them that the Asurs were clearly at the bottom of the ocean, hiding in an underwater city. The Devs wanted to follow and fight them there. But we don't have submarines or scuba diving gear, Indra objected. Vishnu had a solution for that as well. And that solution was not a business card for a shop selling diving equipment. It was instead a suggestion to go talk to Agastya. Agastya had a solution. He asked if the Devs were confident of being able to defeat the Asurs as soon as they were exposed. And could they do it under five minutes? I want to make sure no sea life is damaged by this. Of course, chorus the Devs. All right, let's go to the beach, said Agastya. They all did, but not on a picnic. Agastya was going to do something fantastic. He bent down and touched his lips to the water. With that, Agastya sucked the entire ocean into his mouth. The whole ocean floor was visible. There were shipwrecks and suddenly beached whales and timingiras all over the ocean floor. The Asurs were caught unawares, their city completely in view and within range of the Devs' weapons. There were probably just a dozen or so Asurs left. The Devs had no problem staking them out of action for good. And in under five minutes, Agastya released the water from his mouth, rescuing the remaining creatures. Yes, no sea creatures lost their lives, but practically everyone developed PTSD as a result of the shock of having their water taken away from them, if only for a few minutes. 
A few notes. We have not really encountered Agastya before. Other than a brief mention in a Ramayana episode where he talked to Ram, Lakshman and Sita in the Dandakaranya. Meru was previously character of the week in episode 12, Annabelle and the 40 Thieves. That's all I have for now. In the next episode, we'll do another folktale. This one is a folktale from Goa. It's about being frugal and about an unusual match between a prince and a beggar, featuring magical fish that throw up gold every time they eat. If you have comments or suggestions or if there are particular stories you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. Thanks to all of you listeners for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time. Yeah.